You are listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Capoza, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of She Rises. I'm Giovanna, and I'm back here with another episode on meditation. I've done some episodes in the past where I talk about the importance of having a meditation practice, the importance of at least putting aside some quiet time for spirit in the morning, um, and how that really helps you get into and in touch with your intuition and your source, right? Your greater source of self, your divine spark. And this episode is um, special to me as well because we're going to be talking a little bit about meditation, in particular, this wonderful book um, called Love on Every Breath. It is a meditative uh, teaching book, and it is written by our guest today, Lama Paldin Droma. She is the author of this amazing book, a licensed psychotherapist, spiritual teacher, and coach, and she studied Buddhism in the Himalayas with some of the most preeminent Tibetan masters of the 20th century. That is a mouthful. But guys, she's here. And what a deep, profound conversation we had. I literally, I've said this about guests in the past, but I literally could have spoken to her for another one to two hours about this. Um, Buddhism is a a practice and a, uh, a school of thought that has always fascinated me and I've always felt drawn to. And she's here today to explain a little bit about Buddhism. She's here to talk to us about meditation and what it means to actually discover the true nature of who you are and how that can completely change your life and transform your suffering. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on today. Thank you. Wonderful to be with you. I'm so curious for you to share your story with the audience. You know, we we often have guests come on and one of the main questions I ask is to share their story. I find it so interesting to hear how people got to where they are right now in their life and in particular um, in your case in your spiritual practice and how you've evolved that and yourself and I'd be really interested to have you share that with the audience. Would you share a little bit about that? Oh sure yeah I'd be happy to. So a lama is like a priest or a rabbi or a roshi or a swami. It's uh, a title of of basically, um, a, yeah, like a priest or something. And often, usually they'll teach, but not always. And so how did a, a good Episcopalian girl from Marin County become a Tibetan lama? Um, I w- I've always been really interested in the spiritual and what is behind or deeper or whatever words we're going to use. Uh, be you know um, below the surface or behind the surface of things and even since I was a small child I was wanting to connect with that so I you know was exposed to various wisdom traditions as a child and uh, especially Christianity but also some other ones and started studying comparative religion when I was in middle school and high school we had courses and I just love that And then I really got involved um, 
studying Gandhi and all these kinds of things. And that led me to want to do really a daily meditation practice. And I had learned to meditate as a teenager, but then in my 20s, I really established a daily meditation and yoga practice. And I was studying in Zazen and Sufism and mystical Christianity. And at 25, I I just really felt I had deep, deep spiritual longing during all of my late teens and up into my mid-20s or late 20s. And I started really feeling like I need a guru or I need a teacher that's really my teacher. And although I'd studied with wonderful spiritual teachers, I didn't feel that they were my particular teacher. So I started praying actually to Mother Mary for uh, to reveal to me and so I could find my spiritual teacher. And uh, ironically, uh, a Sufi friend kind of dragged me off to hear this Tibetan Lama speak in San Francisco. And within a few minutes, I knew that was him. And I, I wasn't particularly Buddhist. And I thought, well, whatever tradition he's in, that's fine. Because I just had this really deep knowing that he was my teacher. So that was over 40 years ago. And that's proved, I mean, true the whole time. It's just been, um, it's been one of the factors of my life. And I have tremendous gratitude to him and my other Tibetan teachers. And then at uh, when I was 30, I entered a three-year, uh, approximately four-month retreat that's a Tibet, typical uh, Tibetan retreat where you learn a whole series, engage in a whole series of a very intensive meditation practices as a training. And then following that, about a year later, my teacher authorized me as a lama. And about I, I taught a little bit. I was mostly attending to my life and family and became a psychotherapist. And then about 10 years after that, I ended up starting a Buddhist center. And that was 22 years ago. So I've been teaching intensely in my center and, of course, other places around the country and and. Um, the world since that time. So that's uh, that's my history of how I got to be a Lama. I wonder if you would share with us a little bit about the principles of Buddhism. So many people, I would say most people, have heard of Buddhism. They've got maybe some general idea of it. Um, I'm sure probably eight out of ten people watching this have some you know, Buddha statue at home, but they don't necessarily really know or or have a connection to the principles of Buddhism. And I wonder if you'd share a little bit with that. Sure. So the fundamental principle that uh, Buddha taught was that basically unawakened life is suffering, that we're, you know, we always are trying to be happy and we may achieve that for at certain times, for a certain period of time. And variety of ways, but that that actually without understanding the true nature of reality and the true nature of who we really are, that we're always going to be uh, trying to get what we want, trying to get rid of what we don't want, and it's an endless frustrating thing. And what really brings us um, lasting 
you know, profound happiness and peace and joy is to understand, you know, who we truly are. And as I said, what is the nature of reality? So meditation's purpose in Buddhism is to, first of all, calm the mind, bring it so it can focus and have concentration so that then one can direct that focused awareness to explore what really is the nature of reality and what's the nature of the self. And then the Buddha taught that the way things seem, the way they appear is not actually the reality. And that it's basically all this vivid experience that we're having is extremely vivid and powerful, but at the same time, its nature is completely uh, unimpeded openness. It's empty. It's doesn't actually have um, substance in the sense of of identity or or matter actually. So realizing really what is the truth is what really finally liberates us. So the practices of Buddhism, all the meditation and different practices lead to that eventually to full realization. We're going to definitely get to the meditation side because, of course, I want to dive into your book and and what you wrote about. Um, And I also can hear – so I've been a student of non-duality teachings for a long time, so I listened to what you just said, and I'm like, of course, the nature of who we truly are, right? And I can imagine there's a lot of my audience listening right now going, what? What do you mean this isn't real? (laughs) What do you mean? Like, I, you know, I love going in my garden and smelling my roses. What do you mean they're not real? So, I mean, save for, like, literally a three-hour episode, which I can totally go with you right now because (laughs) I, I love talking about this stuff, but, you know, the the sort of Cole's notes when we talk about the truth of who you are and and this you know quote unquote reality that we live in like how would you you know give us a little maybe Cole's notes version for people that are listening right now that maybe we lost a little bit that are going what, what do you mean <laughs> well uh, let's see how to say that differently well, every, you know, all that we're experiencing, all this phenomena, we're experiencing phenomena of self. In other words, we have awareness, we have feelings, perceptions, thoughts, a body, etc. And we see all these things around us and we experience and interact. And this is real on what in Buddhism is called on a relative level. So it, it's not that it isn't real. It's real, but it it is not exactly how we think it is. It's not really solid. There aren't really separate people who are actually completely uh, apart from each other. Everything that is, is inseparable, and yet it's unique, and we each have unique consciousness. So it's the, the mystery of all this is beyond concept, which is why it's very difficult to put it into words, because words are conceptual and the reality of what is is beyond conceptual understanding. So it really requires meditation in order to really understand this. So I don't know if yeah, that's helpful. You don't know, beautifully said. I couldn't have said it better myself. Beautifully said. And you're right, it's very difficult to put into words, which is why in perfect segue a meditative experience, that lived experience of non-self, right? Of of going right. there is is how 
you know, we can kind of identify it and really sort of, you know, quote unquote, prove it to ourselves because it's really difficult to put into words. So let's let's go there. Let's dive into your book and um, meditation in particular, uh, the specific type of meditation that you teach in your book. And um, I love that you call it love on every breath. I wonder if you could just dive into that title a little more and take us into this world of, of meditation in this way. Oh, sure. Yeah. So in Tibetan Buddhism or Vajrayana Tantric Buddhism, as it's called, there are many, many hundreds, thousands of meditations. And really, meditation was what the Tibetans did for a thousand years. So they got way into it. And they imported all these, a lot of the techniques, almost all of it from India. And so in Love on Every Breath, this is a heart opening practice that helps us get in touch with our own um, vast heart of love and compassion and our own innate awakened nature, our basic goodness, our awakened nature, who we truly are. So this meditation helps on both of that and it helps us not only get in touch with our, the true love, but allow that to really come out. And the meditation is done on the breath. So we're breathing in and we're breathing out. And all the suffering that we feel from either ourselves or another person or a group of people or the whole of humanity, however we're doing the meditation, this suffering is um, breathed into the heart chakra, but then the light, the vajra of our immutable, indestructible, pure being, our awakened mind, or we could call it in Christian or the, uh, terms, our divine presence, our divine being, that is appearing in our heart chakra as a brilliant light, traditionally as a vajra, which people can see in my book more about that, what that looks like. Or you can simply imagine a brilliant drop of light. And that light is not only symbolizing awakened presence, but it is embodying it. It is it. So as the suffering comes, is breathed in and touches the light of awakened mind, instantly the suffering is transformed into love and into white light. And that then is sent back on the out-breath into oneself or the person or people one's doing this, taking and sending the Tonglen for. And it fills that person, heals them, uh, illuminates them, and eventually brings them to complete awakening in the meditation. And so this again and again is done on the breath, this transformation of the suffering into joy and I mean into love. And then that automatically brings joy along with it. So that's this love on every breath. That's the key nugget of the practice. And there's eight steps all together. And then this heart of the practice that I was just describing of the meditation is like step five and six. And for many people um, listening, and I, I mean, of course, I've had this experience as well, and I've done different forms of meditative training just to try and find one that, you know, really I could stick to and works for me. And so right. many people have, you know, the the argument or the pushback of like, oh, I, you know, I can't empty my mind or I can't, 
I can't sit still for that long or I can't, you know, there's all these ways in which, you know, I think it's the ego comes in and says, hey, don't do this thing. That'll bring you closer to your uh, divine self. But how would you compare, you know, sitting down for this type of meditation versus maybe some other ones that people find difficult, you know, emptying their mind and mindfulness and, and those ones? Well, this kind of meditation in Tibetan is called creative kind of meditation, and it's used extensively in that tradition. And I think it's actually very good for people with busy minds because there's certain things you're specifically thinking about and imagining, and that keeps your mind busy. And so I know, like, for me, I had a very, very busy mind in the beginning years. And this practice where you actually are focusing on very specific things, and it's like an unfoldment, is good for the busy mind. It keeps us busy. It keeps, <clears throat> it gives a place to focus. And then at at the very beginning, the first step is we simply rest in open awareness without thoughts or letting go of thoughts. And at the end, that happens too. But in the middle of the practice, there's this creative process that's inseparable with with openness. And so I think this is really beneficial for people. And, and it's very powerful for us to learn different ways to meditate so that um, you know, like you said, we attune to different ones or different kinds of meditation help us in different particular ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I love that it is um, involving imagination and, like you said, the active mind, because for a lot of us, it's really hard to switch that off. And in fact, just a personal note for me, I've only been able to work with meditations that, um, you know, allow for, you know, quote unquote, an active mind, because I do have a lot of the monkey brain. Um, And in your book, you actually talk about teaching a three year old to do this meditation. (laughs) So I think that'd be really reassuring for our audience. And how how'd you go about doing that? (laughs) Well, yeah, I think this story, and this was a number of years ago, and it really illustrates that anybody can learn to do this. And as adults, sometimes our mind gets in the way. Like we think it's a lot harder than it is. So we make it into some big thing. And then we think, oh, that's really challenging or we can't do it. And if we just let all that go and just do the thing very simply, then we can all actually do it as this three-year-old illustrated. So yeah, this uh, three-year-old girl came to me a number of years ago with her godmother and She was distressed because of seeing on the road by the freeway, like dead animals that had been hit by cars. And she was also distressed when she saw at nursery school on the playground, a child like being mean to another child. So she was a very sensitive, very loving child. And these things disturbed her. So she wanted to know, and she had, you know, heard there was, you know, um, about spiritual things and Um, her parents weren't Buddhist, but they were, you know, open to Buddhism and other traditions. And so she asked me if there was anything I could teach her that would help with this. And so I taught her this meditation, the, you know, just the very pith essence of it, the heart of the meditation. And just when she saw, say, for example, the dead animal on the road, she could just breathe in the animal's suffering. And this, I explained to her and I showed her a Vajra, a crystal Vajra that she imagined in her heart made of light. And then she just breathe in that suffering and then imagine that it instantly uh, 
the light emanated a lightning bolt, which transformed that suffering into love, into healing energy, and that would then she would breathe that out to the person, the animal, or the child, or whatever. And I taught her just like that, just like I was describing previously, and you know, she just got that. It's not that complicated. And so she came back about six weeks later and said that she'd been doing it and she felt much better about everything. So because this practice is really for transforming our own minds to open us to our true self and to open our love and compassion, but it also doing it does bring us joy and as it brings us closer to who we truly are. And it also uh, gives us a feeling that we have agency, that we're not powerless because especially in the face of huge suffering in the world today, a lot of people feel overwhelmed or powerless or we can't, you know, that they can't really do anything to really make a difference. And this meditation it's very powerful for transforming all of that within ourselves and and putting us in a position where we're very actively doing something, even though it's an internal doing. And then, you know, it may have an impact on the outside, but also it clears us and puts us into a space so that when we do act in the world, we're coming from a much more... Um, uh, empowered, less triggered, more authentic, more loving place that actually then has more impact as well. Mm. And it's, you know, it, it can almost um, sound like a bit of a paradox, maybe to some people listening. And I remember very early days when I started sitting with my spiritual mentor, and she said to me that you, you need to sort of feel the pain, feel the suffering to move through it. You know, it was it was sort of like, what? What do you mean? Like, I don't want to feel mm -hmm. it anymore. I just want to get rid of it, right? Mm -hmm. And so right. what would you say to someone listening who, you know, is already maybe suffering or in pain or just dealing with something, even anxiety, and feeling any more of it just feels overwhelming to them? Like, what would you... Well yeah, well, how would you explain the thing that? Is, is, I think the thing is, is that when we're in that state, we're actually not feeling it. All of our energy is going toward not feeling it. So we're kind of feeling it, but we're not actually really present with it consciously. We're trying yeah. to get rid of it. So that sets up this push-pull thing. So I agree with your early mentor. I think we have to open to what is and open to the suffering. And that's what we breathe in as this dark smoke. And then, and then through being present and actually conscious with it, when it touches the awakened heart, which really is our innate awareness, then that is instantly transformed into love. And it's important in this meditation that we anchor this sense and there's a in, in step four, that happens where we anchor a sense of awakened or divine presence in our heart chakra. So it's we're feeling it, we're opening to it, but we also know that it's transformable, that it's it can be liberated. And I think that's another thing why we often don't want to feel our suffering, because we think we're just stuck with it and there's nothing we can do. And actually, all of our suffering is transformable. It, we can liberate it. And that's actually the beauty of shinyata, of emptiness, of the fact that things don't 
actually solidly exist the way we think they do. And if they did, they we wouldn't be able to transform and liberate them. But it's not really like that. So all of it is workable. I love that. I, I so, so love that you just talked about we don't actually really feel the suffering because often people are saying, well, I am suffering and I'm stressed about that and this is going on. But actually, it's us living in a state of avoidance or resisting what is that perpetuates the suffering, right? It perpetuates us. Exactly. You know, yeah. And it's, so- a, it's a big waste of time, although we all do it because we're not actually transforming the suffering. We're not actually being present. We're not actually getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. Like nothing helpful is actually happening. Yeah, and, and I, I don't do think talk we're... about resistance in the book too, right. you know. Yeah, and I don't think we're taught, you know, that it's, it's safe to feel it, right? It's a, right. So we learn early right. on that something you know, is scary to feel and, and feels dangerous to feel. And so then we just get on this little hamster wheel. But, you know, that is one of the beautiful gifts, again, that I received from my mentor is if you just drop in and feel it, it actually, it won't kill you. It doesn't even last as long. And in fact, if you don't do that, you're perpetuating even even longer. <laughs> so right, right. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. What would be the like one or even two main nuggets that, you know, uh, listeners to this podcast and uh, readers of your book that you'd love them to take away uh, and just have with them? Well, first of all, that each and every one of us is so much more than we can imagine. The truth of who we are is so much more magnificent and uh, amazing, the amazing qualities and potentials we have. And same for the whole thing that we're living in, this whole reality that we're living in is so um, far beyond in its beauty and majesty and goodness and truth and everything than we can really imagine. So I think meditation, the spiritual path can, can gradually reveal all of this to us. And On the path, I think the most profound blessing that we can give ourselves and others, the thing that really makes our lives much more workable, enjoyable, and pleasant is to really cultivate love and loving kindness and compassion for ourselves and for others. Beautifully said. I I literally could speak to you for another three hours. I could geek out on this forever. (laughs) Um, And I just I want to personally thank you for coming on, you know, on behalf of my listeners, but also for me, it's such a great reminder um, to, you know, accept and and feel what is and and move through and, and, you know, pick up the meditation practice. I particularly love yours and what you talk about in this book. And I'm going to personally start practicing it for all of you listening. Again, the book is called Love on Every Breath, Tonglen Meditation for Transforming Pain into Joy. And I want to thank you again for being on the show and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. A pleasure to speak with you today and all good wishes to you. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising, everyone. For books and resources related to today's episode, make sure you head over to SheRisesPodcast.com and I'll see you there. If you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you tune back in next week when I dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be. And hey, if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you love it, head on over to iTunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show. 